time to tune up the band, and I want my title shot, for it is another episode of the Sweet Chill Rag Podcast. I'm not keeping that up for two hours. I am Sam, alongside Reardon and Melee Helper, as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. Afternoon, morning, wherever you are in the world, gentlemen. How are we doing today? <laughs> I, I have to I have to ask. Is your voice okay? Because you just doing that for a few seconds hurt my voice. <laughs> no, I'm good. I've, <laughs> I've learned to employ the, um, what was it? The David Hater technique of being able to go, like use the lower run, run of your voice to be able to do that right. without messing your throat up. Yeah. So, makes yeah. sense. <laughs> so I'm able to do that without majorly hurting my voice. <laughs> <laughs> But it's kind of easy to do that sort of Wigan mank accent. I mean, if it were going full mank, I'd sound like Liam Gallagher, but we're not here to talk about Oasis. We're here to talk about the British Bulldog. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, it has been uh, a week. I have, uh, well, I can I can say to a lot of you, I'm hoping it will be out within the, the time this comes out, or probably within the week it is out. Uh, I have finished my part for Joseph Montesilio's 2023 video. Lovely. <gasps> very, right. very excited yeah. to see uh to see the whole thing come together. Um if you know Joseph, you you know how just how predictable uh the lists are and where they'll be and where uh, certain people, <clears throat> Brian Danielson and Eddie Kingston will be <laughs> on his list for <laughs> match and wrestler of the year. Uh Melee, I will say this, you are going to be pleasantly pleased with the the amount of DPW coverage in his lists. Let's go. I'll get my Alicia Fox pictures ready. <laughs> you better, sir. You better. I'm looking forward to seeing that come out. I'm still... But then I've got another video to, to happen. I've got Squill's video. He's doing a video on Perk Angle, which I am so oh. excited about. Oh, here We're we cooking. go. Yes, absolutely. We're back. We are so back, so I'm looking forward to doing that. And you'll be pleased to know that Dan has actually con contributed to that um, episode, or to that video as well for Squill. <laughs> We're so back. We're so back. So yeah, I've had a pretty productive week. How about you, gentlemen? Have you have you been up to much? It has been an absolute roller coaster of a week for me due to personal reasons. Good personal reasons, but personal reasons nonetheless. <laughs> Due to which, which necess necessitated my, is that the word necessitated? Yeah, necessitated <laughs> my absence for the last week. But I'm <laughs> back. It's good to be back. It's good to hear from you guys. So, but I am, I am all good, baby. I am all good. Glad to hear, mm -hmm. it, sir. What about you, you absolute legend, Melee? Oh, I ate some chicken stew and it was very delicious. That's my update. Oh, we're so fucking back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, funny thing is, I had beef stew as well during the week, so you know, there we go. Anyway, SmackDown beef. <laughs> <laughs> we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, guys, much like the British Bulldog nodding at the back of your Ford. 
<laughs> just keeping going on and on and on. We are forever pending and always will be other platforms. I feel like Melee doesn't get like the whole because Americans can't understand the 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 cultural influence that Churchill Insurance had on this country. You know what I mean, I, to, be honest, to be honest, to be honest, I can't describe it. I can't explain this to people. Would would you be would you be surprised, Melee, that for a time in the nineties, the mid to late nineties, a talking bobblehead of a bulldog was one of the biggest things on television? See, I'm not surprised by that because we Americans love to do stupid stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, no, that checks out. That checks out. So, before we get on to our episode, all about Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, it is time to visit me for this week's wrestling news. Dun 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 down. Wrestling news. Oh, let's go, baby. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> so. I gotta yeah. say, melee, you, you slipped right in. Sorry, I just gotta say, you slipped right in, melee. I'm I'm quite impressed. Yeah. Quite impressed. <laughs> Look, he's been I'm here. the real dirty Dan. I was gonna say he's been he's been here long enough, period, to, to understand the assignment. It's... Yeah, it's true. I'm one of the founders. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, back in those halcyon days of the lockdown during the pandemic. <laughs> in London. Yeah, in melee, melee was all the way in London. He was. That's Ah, <laughs> oh, so where are we? There's a few things to talk about. Uh, let's start with a good one. The debuting episode of TNA Impact. And, uh, man, it's good to have TNA back. I love the fact that they, um, due to fan reception and, uh, and, uh, and petitions, they brought back the cross the line theme as the TNA, as the new revived TNA Impact theme. You know, the, it is my destiny, it is the truth I see, in this world I'll find a so way across the line. Ridiculous. We I are, can't believe it's happening. We are so back, so back. And I'm really looking forward to the next few tapings, because they've had Okada teaming with the Machine Guns in tag team action. We've got Okada back in TNA, baby. We'll get to him in a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Nick <laughs> Nemeth has made his presence felt. He wants the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, I'm still a bit upset that they just kind of got they kind of just got rid of Alex Shelley as world champion and just gave it to Moose. I'm yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm a bit, um, I'm a bit unsure about that because I felt like well, if you want to be TNA, be TNA. Keep Shelley as champion. It made sense, but mind you, I'm not the booker of TNA, so what do I know? Real, real. I mean, like for real. I, mean, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess maybe that Alex Shelley didn't want to do the job to Nick Nemeth. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't work for me, dude. Actually, I can't imagine. No, if Alex Shelley was still associated with Kevin Nash, I could see him do that. But, <laughs> but not. But I can't see him doing that while he's not associated with Kevin Nash. Which, by the way, I hope Kevin Nash makes an appearance in TNA and is, is associated with Alex Shelley. <laughs> He needs to come with the FUBU jersey. Exactly. I still found out, right, recently, and especially on, like, I think Sam and Justin of YDR found out, that you can still buy FUBU jerseys to this day. Mm -hmm. 30 shillings. <laughs> wow. Oh, do you remember the halcyon days of FUBU, Reardon? 
I do. I, 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 um, I, I had a little blast from the past uh, as I rewatched Ali G in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so seeing all of that gear come back was was like a shotgun blast to the face. Uh, and of course, you know the try and true tactic during that film of using your cunning by going shouting "Bundo." <laughs> Yeah, that that I had Vietnam flashbacks to that. Let's not talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two thousand and two just came right back and hit you in the face there, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really did. I I can't talk about it. But no, I am really glad to see TNA back. It looks like it knows what it, it understands what it is. They understand what to do with it and moving forward. Well, well, I can only hope that it just gets better. Honestly, uh, my hope is for at least that they. They really do double down on the on the people that are actually really talented and not rely on Moose all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's funny. Like, if you simply give the people what they wanted that made TNA popular in the first place, people will start watching again. Exactly, exactly. And to look at it this way, TNA actually, I, I I was looking back on it, and that Osprey Josh Alexander match was actually a damn good show for your first TNA Impact back. Because it made me realize, mm-hmm. man, they have, they have someone with Kurt Angle energy in Josh Alexander, and they need to capitalize on him so much going forward for TNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, Josh Alexander saying... and PCO. Exactly, exactly. PCO, oh, god damn it, <laughs> PCO. He's not human. <laughs> I swear to God, I know that's his catchphrase, but god damn it, he really is not human for being in his late fifties and still doing some of the shit he does. <laughs> yeah, the P stands for perk. <laughs> I thought it was Pierre, <laughs> but I digress. Um, yeah, really, really looking forward to seeing where Impact goes moving forward. Right, a couple of news stories to talk about that have kind of been the big ones. First of all, Seth Rollins, in his title defense against Jinder Mahal, injured his knee. We now know the full extent of that knee injury. I believe it was a... Uh, uh, torn meniscus and partially torn ACL, if memory serves me correct. Oof. Now, the diagnosis, the recovery time for a meniscus is usually four to six weeks. A partially torn ACL can be anything from a month to six months. So, so. we don't know what's going to happen. Like, genuinely, does this mean that Rollins Punk does not happen at WrestleMania? I think I, I remember that. hearing that the, the supposed plan was that he's going to try to make it for Romania for the punk thing. Mm. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but that's what they're, that's what the whispers are. It's very interesting with, with AC, ACLs. Remember when ACLs were the, was basically a death sentence for any a- athlete? Footballers especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always kind of find that kind of stuff really interesting because I, I remember back in the day, it was like, and I was speaking. To, I've spoken to my dad on this many a time as a, a long line, uh, lifelong football fan about like a torn ACL was basically your career is over. So the fact that we're even talking about about him when he when will he be able to come back is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um. My bet. I think. I think. For better or worse, we'll see. I think he will make it for Mania. That's actually my my prediction. I think he will actually be able to do it. It's just early enough that he could. I could imagine him wanting to work injured 
and if it's only partially with the amount of with the amount of medical treatment he's probably going to be getting I, I i'm kind of confident that he would still make it honestly well we did he did once have a part i believe it was a partially torn acl um the one time when he faced off against triple h at mania um and mm. he was able to get to there but w along with the meniscus as well i i mean i don't know what we do know is that seth is going to make well is going to provide an update on raw this coming monday about mm. what he's mm. going to be doing um I know if the case is that he drops the title and now Punk has no one to go into Mania with. I mean, what what can you do for, on that point? I mean, I know. Do you bring Jack Perry into WWE and now it's Jack Perry versus <laughs> CM Punk at Mania Four? The real World Heavyweight Champ. They are destined to do this forever. <laughs> I, I think it's, up it's my just contract. funny that go cry me a river. <laughs> I feel like this could have all been avoided if she just simply gave the world title to Nakamura back when he actually challenged for it. None of this would have happened. You know what? That's that, that's so real. That's in WWE's part. That's real, you know. And and I think the more of the lesson is that you know everyone on wrestling Twitter can talk shit, but you don't hinder the modern day Maharaja. <laughs> Seth Rollins was simply not ready for him. <laughs> His knee definitely wasn't ready for Jinder Mahal. Although, I will say this, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Seth Rollins now is on to his third knee surgery, which means he is closely, closely coming up to Rey Mysterio's record of knee, his knee surgeries. Yeah. <laughs> Next one, he gets a free Sunday. I've had surgery five times in my, in my left knee. Oh, <laughs> no. I can just see him in, like, in these horrible, like like custom crutches just doing all of that oh no <laughs> jesus oh man you're right though i feel like i i nakamura should have been champion i'm just saying it right now he really should have yeah. been in the program but then again we're all nakamura stands we always have been for the longest time haven't we <laughs> yes mm -hmm. but talking of Japanese talent. Let's go back to Kazuchika Okada and a, a very, very interesting development happening. There had been murmurings for the longest time, ever going back to December, of Nakamura's status within New Japan Pro Wrestling. And two days ago, we got confirmation of his contract status. Um, he is not renewing his contract with New Japan and is parting ways in January the 31st. Um, That's crazy. It is crazy. That is wild. That, that, the Kazuchika Okada, the, the ace of New Japan, the man that they pretty much have built the company on since about 2013, now kind of going on to pastures new, which is, uh, man, I never thought I'd see that. Now, mind you, this is the same feeling I had towards, like, when Nakamura's contract went up. I never thought he would leave New Japan, but here we are. And Okada is now kind of, uh, he's going to, um, fulfill the rest of his obligations with new japan up to i believe it's new beginning i believe he's going to be uh fulfilling his obligations and then yep come 31st of january he is free to uh seek employment in another company the question is though um a lot of people have been saying wwe aew all of this um people close to ricardo have said that he's umming and ahhing towards the two 
where do you see it going, fellas? Oh. He is going. He's going to DPW become the new ace. I mean, like legit, I would love to actually see Okada do a DPW run. I can't lie. That would be incredible. Um, uh, first of all, like even for me, the the casual of casual Japanese wrestling, that's a f- wild bit of news. <laughs> mm-hmm. That that man is. That man is part of the foundation, let alone part of the furniture in that company. Yeah. So that to, to for even to him, for I legitimately thought he would retire in that company. That's kind of nuts. Mm. I'm. Is it? Is it? Would it be too crazy to say I think he stays in Japan? I don't. I don't see him. It like make, it I, makes me think that. Maybe his heart lies towards a little more towards AEW because he yeah, can like, still fulfill, he can still have obligations and go to Japan whilst under a contract with them. Yeah, I, I see that. I would, of all the more like, if, if we were to, you know, go, go to America, I see it as AEW. Now, having said that, WWE, especially under Triple H, would definitely be throwing money piles after money piles to get him. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, make, like, they'd make like, it rain for Okada. <laughs> yeah, like, abso- like, absolutely. Like, do I, do I, are those conversations being had? Yes, absolutely. No, no question. Will he take them? I, I am not I f- sure, mm. especially considering, like, in terms of money, I, from what I know, he's all right. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's not like it's not a Nakamura situation where you can you could definitely say that Nakamura went because he like now is just to get that that retirement paycheck. You oh know yeah, I mean? he, he he went to he went to surf and get that sweet WWE money. There's yeah, I can't yeah, and, fault him for that. At yeah, all. yeah, no, and all power to him. Akada, he I I still feel like he would feel that he still has matches in him. He still has things to do. And AEW would be the place to do them. However, AEW, as we all know, isn't in like it's it's isn't in like their halcyon days right now. Mm. But they're the only real place that could get him. The only real place that could really afford him. Exactly. It's a it's a real that's a real real conundrum. Here's and the I'm... thing you got to realize as well. Um, if you're signing him to an American company. You can't fuck Okada up because he is a pop culture icon in Japan at this point. Yeah, exactly. Which is why my gut feeling is that he will stay in Japan, or at least, or at least he, his contract will stipulate that he will be able to do some work in Japan. I don't see him just full on leaving. That just seems kind of insane to me. <laughs> TNA then. He goes back yeah. to TNA. Yeah. Oh, if he went back to TNA, I, I honestly think TNA is a bit of a dark horse, but like it would be ridiculous <laughs> and I could see him doing it. I could, you know what? As nuts, that, as mad as that man is, I reckon he probably would. And it would be such a like a, a giant, a giant F you to both companies to go, no, I'm going back to TNA, baby. <laughs> Scott DeMore now has got his checkbook going, you see what they're offering? I will give you triple. I will give you triple. <laughs> I will, and I cannot emphasize this enough, give you my firstborn if you come into this com- <laughs> company. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> well, you see, I actually have the sources. Um, I'm everywhere and everyone. And from what I've been seeing on Twitter, apparently, more so than Okada, his wife was trending more than him because the uh, forgive me for not knowing her his wife's name, but I think she's like some big time like voice actress mm-hmm. for like anime and stuff. And apparently, a lot of people like like her stands were scared that she's gonna move to America because apparently she's been having lots of English lessons lately. Mm-hmm. So. They were kind of worried that since Okada is leaving New Japan, it, it might mean that they might be moving to America or at least having more influence over there. Interesting. That's, so that, interesting. that's what I've heard. That's an interesting little wrinkle, if true. I get the mm-hmm. feeling as well, his heart might lie a little more towards AEW considering the they've kind of butted him up with the matches he's had with Danielson as well. Like, that's yeah. got to be a massive factor to Okada's thinking towards leaning towards one or the other, if it is down yeah. to those two. Yeah, like, of all of the... Like, if he's moving... Again, if he's moving to America, AEW is the most likely. Mm. I'm just kind of wondering if the if if there isn't some other angle here I'm not seeing. Yeah, I... I mm. That, that 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 and that's the kicker, isn't it? With someone, especially with someone like Okada, yeah. we just don't know. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that that's the other angle. It's Okato, isn't it? <laughs> oh no, yeah, I yeah. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be real fascinating to see. I am real looking forward. I, I am looking forward. Come February. What in the world's gonna happen with Okada? For sure. Oh man! But those are the main news stories to talk about that have been kind of hit the wrestling world this week. Let's head on over to recommendation corner and Reardon, What have you got for us this week, guys? How do you feel about the Marx Brothers? Who? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was gonna be one. <laughs> See, I've only seen a few of their films. I've always, I, I've always known to have a kind of a good, of a jolly old time watching a Marx Brothers film for sure. But then, as you said before we recorded, Reardon, my goodness, did Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny and specifically rip off the Marx Brothers? It's it's <laughs> incredible how much they ripped them off. But no, my recommendation is going to be a little more classical, a little more historical, as I recommend the Marx Brothers, perhaps their greatest film, Duck Soup. Mm. which I watched for the first time. And, man, it's such a fascinating little cultural piece of film. Mm. Very, very, it's very of its time. But I I do think it's worth a watch. And also, it's really short. Like, it's like, I think it's like, I think it might be like 70 minutes, maybe like 65. It is a short movie. Mm, It is not the longest film, that's for sure. So if you want to see like old, like old school vaudeville wackiness (laughs) and what, what your like grandparents might have been laughing at, watch it. I just find it a really interesting movie to watch. (laughs) <laughs> and also has one of the darkest, like, comedic we're going to war jokes I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, man. 
No, it's it is it is a fun film. It is a it is a it is a film I've not watched since about 2011. So you unlocked a memory when you said that, Reardon, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is a real. I watched this. I watched this during uni or slash film school kind of movie. <laughs> but I think there is something there. I do really think there is something there. Good choice, man. Mm-hmm. Good choice. All righty, let's get on to our episode all about the British bull, 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 bulldog, the bulldog, <laughs> the bulldog, wavy boy with. Uh, <laughs> let's, Wait get a to, let's go to our episode about Davy Boy Smith. Now, gentlemen, question, opening gambit of this one is, uh, like I always like to do with these retrospectives, what is your knowledge of Davy Boy? How much do you know about Bulldog and his career and life? Davy Boy Smith is like, because I'm British, almost, it's like, he he really it's you know what you know what the British bull, the bulldog kind of makes me think of mm. it makes me feel it makes and stick with me here it makes me think about how disco duck was ridiculously popular in UK yeah <laughs> no no in, melee's like wait what <laughs> yeah 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 for for, for melee for those of you who know there is a novelty disco song. A terrible, terrible song. I cannot emphasize this enough. A terrible disco song called Disco Duck, which is basically a person doing a Donald Duck impression over a disco beat. It's terrible. It's god-awful. It it had an absolute stranglehold over this country. (laughs) Not surprised. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about Davy Boy Smith, not in terms of quality, not in terms of quality, no one at me or us, but in terms of like cultural impact, he is absolutely huge in the UK, an icon of wrestling. But when you actually look at his history and his accomplishments, like it doesn't match up. It's I hate to say <laughs> yeah. but, but like but speaking quite <laughs> frankly, he like speaking quite frankly, if you talk to like a British wrestling fan of a certain age, you you it would sound like he was like the British Hulk Hogan when he wasn't. He really wasn't. <laughs> but God did I mean, he feel like he is the body of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that that's not gonna work for me, bruv. <laughs> 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 what about you, Melee? Do you know much, if anything, at uh, all about Davy Boy Smith? No, uh, from what I'm hearing, maybe I think he's British. I'm still not sure if he's a bulldog or not. Because <laughs> if if he is, it, that'd be very impressive. Unfortunately, he isn't. But we actually will get into the origins of the whole British bulldogs thing in this episode. So let us go back to the beginning. Which is always a good place to start. Anyway, that that joke will never get old. Born David Boy Smith due to an actual error for one of the head matrons at the hospital when they accidentally put his middle name as Boy, so he got stuck with the middle name Boy. (laughs) Oh my god, that's actually... I always thought it was a nickname. No, Boy was his middle name due to an actual error on his birth certificate. Oh, that's incredible. (laughs) So David Boy Smith was born on the 27th of November 1962 in Goldbourne, Lancashire, England, just outside of Wigan. And if you know anything about Wigan, you know it's basically kind of like Manchester light, isn't it, really? (laughs) Isn't it? 
<laughs> Wigan is certainly a place. <laughs> but it did give the world the snake pit, which I guess for the world of catch wrestling is is the great is Wigan's greatest contribution to the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he grew up with his father Sid, mother Joyce, and his brother Terence, along with his sisters Joanne and Tracy. So Joyce's nephew, funnily enough, was Tom Billington, who we know, of course, as the Dynamite Kid, and who also, during the early part of his career, as we know, and including in the WWF, was his frequent tag team partner. Now, growing up, Davy Boy had kind of a lot of things that kind of held, well, that were kind of made his life a bit more uh, difficult than it would for the average boy of his age. Did you know that he was actually born with measles in his eyes, which led him to not only be partially blind, but led him to be the subject of fierce bullying at his skull? Holy God, you didn't get measles in your eyes? Yeah. And oh, no, that's... Yeah. What? I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> Same, and I was like, no, it all corroborated, and it's true. Yeah, he was born with measles. In his eyes, which led to, of course, I said, frequent bullying in his of in, during his early years in school. Um, he would not get that sorted until he was in his thirties when he got laser eye surgery. That's horrific. So That's, he was wrestling. He was wrestling. We'll get to his wrestling career, but he was still wrestling with with that condition and affliction in his eyes. Which is insane well, to think that's about. That's that's horrifying. That is utterly. That's one of the most horrifying facts I've heard on this podcast. So if you, it comes as no surprise, Reardon, when I tell you that during a kid he actually excelled in sports, most notably football, rugby, and cricket. <laughs> Why is this man doing cricket with measles in his eyes? Because he can't see the ball, so we just swings for the. Fence. God. <laughs> I was going to say, if you don't know, like, uh, uh, the cricket, a cricket ball is pretty much, it's built like a baseball, but about uh, twice the weight of it, Melee? Yeah, it, it, yeah, mm -hmm. a, a cricket ball is like a more solid baseball, if you can believe that. <laughs> I'm disappointed it wasn't shaped as a cricket. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the British for you. What can you say? <laughs> yeah, that's the British. Yeah, what can we say? He also enjoyed scuba diving as a hobby as well as a kid growing up. Huh. As, well as, uh, as well as high diving as well. So he had kind of an affinity for the water as well. But his heart lied within professional wrestling. And of course, in, 19, in the 1970s, where did you get your fix for professional wrestling in the UK? ITV and World of Sports. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and like most people in the UK who we don't have an age gap cap to when you can learn how to wrestle, Davy Boy Smith started his wrestling training at the age of 13. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love it. <laughs> <laughs> Trained under the tutelage of one Ted Betley after his grandfather and father noticed that he needed to be involved in a more positive activity dur during his school years. He started training there in the Leeds and Manchester area before eventually getting his first TV exposure in World of Sport when he was only 15 years old. Now, as I said to you, gents, I would show you a picture 
of Davy Boy Smith during this time when he was just 15. And when I tell you I wasn't kidding that he was a lanky... A, well, what was it? A tall streak of piss is what they call it in England. I This was Davy Boy Smith, age 15. Oh. Oh my God. And I would like to show you again another picture of a slightly older Davy Boy Smith. I think he was just about 16 in this one where he teamed with Big Daddy. Uh, hopefully... This it might not be a great quality image for you, chaps, but I need to get need to make you realise just how lanky he was. Okay, which one's Davy? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Dave Boy Smith in this picture looks like he looks like the Robin to Noddy's from from <laughs> Slade's Batman. <laughs> Noddy from Slade. <laughs> I like that one, Ridden. <laughs> like, oh my god. Big booty. So yeah, he mostly teamed alongside, at this time, having uh, showcase matches along with people of his own age. But he was also teaming with his cousin, uh, the Dynamite Kid, Tom Bennington. He was also, at this time as well, not only trained by uh, Ted Bentley, but also by Bennington's confidant and friend, Alan Dennison. And in 79, eventually, he would. this would lead him all to win the British Welterweight Championship from, le from the legendary Jim Brakes. Unfortunately, it was a dusty finish as the win was disallowed due to Dennison distracting Jim, allowing for Smith to get the uh, fall and the win, which, of course, again, I said, dusty finish ended up being uh, disqualified and Jim Brakes was still welterweight champion. So he tasted a little bit of gold there at the time. Now, as everybody knows, All-Star Promotions, who put on the world of sport uh, cards on ITV, had a working relationship with Stu Hart and Stampede Wrestling. It was from this relationship that David Boy Smith was spot uh, spotted by the one and only Bruce Hart. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Mm. who was scouting at the time in the UK and, and invited Binnington and Smith to intend a seminar at the infamous Hart Family Dungeon and become a wrestler at Stampede Wrestling. <laughs> now, this it's... Go on, sorry. I'm sorry. It's always kind of weird. What... I don't know what the Hearts would do in 1970s Britain. Like... What did, what, did, what did they do well, in the 70s? They are a pure 80s, 90s creation to me in my brain. It's crazy because both Brett and Owen f had several matches in World of Sport, believe it or not, during the uh, early, uh, late 70s and early 80s. Wow. It's really weird seeing Owen Hart with a cowboy gimmick. But he was doing all of the things that he was so famous for. He was doing kind of like the the kind of like the skinning the cat spots, the jumping off the top rope and doing a backflip spot, which was not like that was a foreign concept to people watching World of Sports. So needless to say, yeah, no. <laughs> he was over huge in England because simply because of what he could do like he would be booed immediately because he was from Canada but as soon as he start wrestling everyone was like holy fuck this guy's amazing yeah yeah like that doesn't that doesn't surprise me in the slightest like <laughs> but Bret Hart is it's so funny 
Because again, I don't know what it is why they did it in World of Sport, but they always booked the hearts as cowboys. (laughs) (laughs) So you had cowboy Bret Hart and Bronco Owen Hart. (laughs) Oh my lord, that's incredible. But make of that what you will. It was, uh, it's again, it's weird seeing the hearts in like early 70s, like late 70s, early 80s, like like just that time period. Because as you've said, they're a product of the late 80s and 90s, right? <laughs> <laughs> Brett especially. Anyway, it was his time in Stampede that he began a feud with Kid and eventually ended up winning and defeating Kid for the Stampede British Commonwealth Mid Heavyweight Championship. Try saying that five times fast. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> And in 1983, Smith would finally make his debut when in Japan, debuting in New Japan, where he became involved in a freeway feud with the Cobra, George Takano, and the Dynamite Kid over the NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship. Of course, during this time as well, nice. he, he would also end up being in a tournament as well, a one-night tournament in New Japan, where he would eventually lose to eventual winner Dynamite Kid. And it was from that tournament that actually Kid gave Smith a little bit more respect in that time. And this was where the British Bulldogs became a tag team. Now, um, the reasoning for the British Bulldogs, uh, Bulldog is considered, as we all know, Bulldog is considered a very British dog breed. And Stu Hart liked the double alliteration. British Bulldogs. There you go. (laughs) I mean... Sometimes it is that simple. It just sounded neat. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was also during this time as well where the British Bulldogs as a tag team would make the move to All Japan to take part in the in All Japan's annual tag team tournament where they actually stole the show and were considered one of the best tag teams during that tournament in 1984. This brings us then, gentlemen, to the World Wrestling Federation. Now, as I talked about in the last episode all about Bret Hart, when Vince McMahon bought Stu Hart's uh, time slot in Canada for Stampede Wrestling, the proviso was that Stu Hart took the Stu or Vince took four wrestlers um, from Stu Hart as well. That being Brett, Jim Neidhart, Dynamite Kid, and Davy Boy Smith. And so this is how uh, both Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid became part of the World Wrestling Federation. I do wonder why he picked those four. I mean, I mean, like, like, Brett makes sense. Jim Neihardt makes sense. I do wonder what he saw in in Davy Boy to, to take him of 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 the four. From what I've heard and from what I've seen, both Davy Boy and Dynamite Kid were quite popular in Stampede at the time, uh, and mm. they were really kind of they were known for having very dynamic. Well, at the time, very dynamic, showy matches, technical, like, classics. Uh, Dynamite Kid especially, everyone knows he was very known for being very stiff and very snappy with his moves and was very well known for his diving, uh, top rope diving headbutt as well. Mm. And Davy Boy Smith was kind of the... Um, in, a, in You know in tag teams where you have the guy that's kind of the guy who gets beaten up? And then you have the uh, one part in that that has that gets the hot tag and has is the blaze of fury. Oh, he was the Ricky Morton. Got it. Got it. Got Basically, it. he was the Ricky Morton. Was <laughs> <laughs> bulldog at this time. <laughs> so, uh, 
so because of this deal and because the Bulldogs were also in all Japan at this time, uh, Vince McMahon actually had um, had to share um, uh, rights with Giant Barber over in all Japan to be able to have the Bulldogs. So they had a non-exclusive contract. Well, handshake agreement, I should I should say at that time. Where, bull, where the Bulldogs were able to work all Japan and the WWF at the time. But of course, Vince being Vince, he doesn't like when someone else has one of his toys and was able to get exclusive rights to the Bulldogs at the time. Of course. As I said, his, their very first feud was, was with the Hart Foundation. Did you know, though, that the British Bulldogs were first managed not by Matilda the Bulldog, but by Captain Lou Albano? <laughs> That's... Wow, that's interesting. Billy, 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 I'm from England, baby. <laughs> I feel so good, I feel so fine. I want a cup of tea with a tap, man. Billy, Billy, Billy. Oh, no. You got the, you you got the brain of a dehydrated bin. <laughs> you need to stop that immediately. Maybe we, should, maybe we should watch the Super Mario Brothers Super Show that Lou Albano was a part of as Mario. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, <laughs> So as I said, that was the that was the very first feud and the feud they became known for to begin with. But eventually, of course, they would end up feuding as well with the Dream Team, the team of Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake. And eventually, they would end up with because of that rivalry that would lead all the way up to WrestleMania Two, where the British Bulldogs with Captain Lou and Ozzy Osbourne as their manager in their corner would end up defeating the Dream Team for their first WWF Tag Team Championships. I still love that fact that Ozzy Osbourne was managing ringside for the British Bulldogs. That is... May I just say, off his head on coke, may I add? Yeah, no, I, like, you didn't need to say that. It was it was Ozzy Osbourne in the 80s. What, 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 what possible state could Ozzy Osbourne be in the 1980s? <laughs> Like, <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, he's not... <laughs> like, I'm, I'm more. I am more. Like, did did he make his spots? Did he like do? Did he do the job well? Do we know? I mean, he had a. I think he had a pre-batch promo with 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 Bobby. Uh, no, so not Bobby Heenan. Mean Gene. And it was like, ah, oh, this is going to be in the British Bulldogs forever! And I think they just went, yo, yo, you go in the corner, Ozzy, you'll be fine. <laughs> Look, there's a mountain of powder <laughs> in the corner. Oh! <laughs> okay, okay. Because I'm wondering, like, if he actually managed to do a good job. <laughs> like, he did his bit, he did his bit got paid Oz and went home, basically. <laughs> like, do you think he just even like remembers that he did that? <laughs> I bet I don't think he remembers <laughs> that he did that. No, I can't, I can't lie. <laughs> oh god. So, Bulldogs had a pretty long, substantial run with that type with the tag titles for the first time, nearly ho holding them for nearly nine months. Of course, feuding with the Dream Team and eventually the tag the tag team of Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. But it was eventually the Hart Foundation that would best them, winning the titles on the twenty sixth of January, nineteen eighty seven. Now, it was after losing the titles that the Bulldogs would gain that mascot, the most infamous of mascot mascots, an actual Bulldog named Matilda. <laughs> oh, goodness. And it was from this that they would feud with Demolition, the fabulous Rougeau brothers, and the Islanders, who very famously, and in kayfabe, may I add, dognapped Matilda. 
No. See, see, they won that feud, right? Because you can't kidnap the dog. <laughs> yeah, they won like, the feud. And if memory serves me correct, they set Matilda on Bobby the Brain Heenan. <laughs> and may I add, Bobby was half expecting Matilda to bite her. But as Bobby said backstage, she did nothing but hump me. <laughs> <laughs> I got paid to see 10,000 people uh, to, to, to see me get humped by a bulldog. Wrestling. Oh, God. Wrestling. God bless you, Bobby. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, so later on, in 1988, after especially as well, during 87, the very first Survivor Series, they would take part in that 10-on-10 Survivor Series tag team match. Um, they would leave the WWF, mostly due part to backstage problems, uh, specifically towards uh, the Rougeau brothers. Now, if no one knows this, this is, this is something that needs to be talked about. The Bulldogs had pulled a number of ribs slash pranks on the Rougeau brothers. Um, ribs and pranks were kind of all the rage back time. If it weren't for, if it wasn't steroids and cocaine, it was usually ribbing the boys in the back. Kurt Hennig as well has been known as the most infamous and probably the most iconic prankster during this time. Now, the Rougeau brothers were, as I said, were constantly being ribbed by the Bulldogs, Dynamite Kids specifically. And it was due to a prank that Kurt Hennig had pulled on Jacques Rougeau. They had assumed, the Rougeaus, that the Bulldogs were behind the prank. And they, um, oh god, they ended up retaliating in one of the most infamous ways possible. Jacques Rougeau finally had had enough of the shit that Dynamite Kid was pulling on them. And called Dynamite Kid one time during a show to the, to the dressing room. As Dynamite Kid was entering the dressing room, Jacques Rougeau pulled out a roll of quarters, balled it into his hand, and as soon as Dynamite Kid came up to Jacques, Jacques Rougeau punched him square in the jaw, knocking out four of his teeth and giving him a massive black eye in the process. Jeez. It's just a prank, bro. <laughs> now... There are a lot of counts of the situation, many suggesting that Dynamite Kid threw the first plunge by bullying Rougeau. And a lot of people saying that it was an unprovoked attack by Rougeau. Talk to who you will. Doesn't really matter. All we know is that Rougeau absolutely laid out Dynamite Kid with a roll of quarters. Now, no disciplining action was taken against Jacques Rougeau <laughs> because of this. Of course. Of course. And it was from this that both Billington... Uh, sorry, Dynamite Kid and David Boy Smith would quit the WWF over that dispute from the management due to uh, that as well as just other things, including uh, not being renewed or kind of being reissued, re uh, reissued money for being owed plane tickets and all of that stuff. All of that good things. But I say good things. <laughs> so what do they do in 88 <laughs> and 1990? Well, they returned to Stampede Wrestling for a little bit. And also made a couple of tours in all Japan, uh, all Japan once more, taking part in a few uh, tag tournaments, tag shows, multi-man matches. 
during the time though it was it they they kind of ended up having a kind of like a, a little split at the time in all japan they ended up splitting and and being in multi-man matches and singles at the time um oh gosh right this comes along with another thing that i have to talk about as well before we get back to the wwf unfortunately davy boy smith did not have the best of luck at this time it was on july the 4th 1989 along with wrestlers ross hart jason the terrible and oh for god's sake chris pinoir that were involved <laughs> in a car accident now davy boy smith wasn't wearing a suit belt at the time um Come on, come on! And oh. I don't know how, how how this how he survived this. He survived despite being vaulted, being thrown out of the windshield, smashing his head through it, and be and being thrown twenty five feet onto the pavement. What he, the hell? He survived, requiring a hundred and thirty five stitches to his head. Oh no! Wear a seatbelt, people. Honest to God. Yes. May I just add that, everybody? Add that. Uh, and also, after this, personal problems began to surface between both David Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid during their time in All Japan. They would end up, of course, uh, teaming. They ended up coming back as a team for a little bit and ended up having matches against uh, Joe and Dean Malenko, Kenta Kabashi and Tsuyoshi Kikuchi and the Nasty Boys, if you remember they their time in All Japan. <laughs> Which is really weird to think that the Nasty Boys were in All Japan, but there you go. Uh, but it was from this that personal problems began to rise and Dino, uh, sorry, British Bulldog, David Boy Smith, decided to say, screw you guys, I'm going back to the WWF. <laughs> And so, as a solo act, Davy Boy Smith returned in 1990, uh, being viewed and seen and uh, uh, perceived as the exact same character as he was during his time with the British Bulldogs. But now, literally now, as a single star under the name the British Bulldog, he would return. Genius. He would return in October the sixth at a live event, defeating Haku believe it or not. And it was on, and he would make his televised in-ring return on the 27th of October episode of Superstars, where he defeated the Brooklyn Brawler. Of course. <laughs> it was through this, though, he would begin to start building uh, up, going up the card, start, starting from the bottom and eventually getting to the upper mid card. He had, had a very long running feud over the next two years with the Warlord, but it was from this that he started gaining a much bigger audience with the united kingdom now this was during parts of the wwf becoming a huge ratings hit on the newly formed sky sports as well as the promotion hosting uh, shows and specials over in the uk such as uk rampage now it was from this uk one of these uk rampages that smith competed in a 20-man battle royale at the royal albert hall in 1991 which he won and eventually became a huge, huge hit. He was also entered as the first man in the 92 Royal Rumble, eliminating Ted DiBiase, Jerry Sags, and Haku, before being eventually eliminated by the winner, Ric Flair. Now we get to 1992, and it's time to talk about the Intercontinental Championship. And in 1992, the WWF, with this huge momentum and popularity skyrocketing in the United Kingdom, decide to hold SummerSlam, at Wembley Stadium. Hmm. 
Mm. Wow. I, you know, when you just lay it out like that, Sam, he was, um, it's almost like a, it's almost a full on work for the British audience. It really, really <laughs> is. Like, it really like the, that is that is the perfect storm of 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 events for that to for that to happen. Especially, I didn't. That's actually really interesting. I didn't know that, and I or at least I didn't consider that his um his like heyday in the UK was with the rise of Sky Sports. That's really interesting. Believe it or not, mm. yeah. And there was a lot of press attention, especially over here. Um, for this, of course, tickets sold out almost immediately. Yeah. For SummerSlam, the press coverage on Sky Sports was humongous. Um, the Daily Mirror had a front page, a front page story all about the British Bulldog in the weeks leading up to this. A like a like a I think a four page spread of like a short autobiography on Davy Boy's life. Um. Also, may I add that there was also a brand deal with Burger King to get free vouchers for a free burger at Burger King at this time as well. I still remember, <laughs> I still remember the advert to this to this day of British Bulldog vlog and talking about his life on the Daily Mirror while shouting, "Get your free burger at Burger King now!" <laughs> I want my burger. I want my burger. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was facing up against Bret Hart, then Intercontinental Champion. In the main event of SummerSlam. <laughs> now, as of now, as we've as I've said so many freaking times, I feel at this point I've I have said this story ad nauseum at this point. We all know that Davy Boy Smith was a tad nervous uh the in the day in the day of this show. And mm -hmm. uh depending on who you talk to, uh he either forgot or he was to off his tits. Uh, enough to absolutely forget the entire spots that that him and Brett fought up and conceived for this match. So he called. So Brett Hart called an audible and basically called the match to Davy Boy Smith on the fly <laughs> in front of eighty thousand people in Wembley Stadium. <laughs> they called the match in the ring. The the most with perhaps the most feral crowd of British people for that for another 30 years that's just what a wild wild thing to do so fun fact here for you Reardon who was the man that accompanied Davy Boy Smith to the ring at SummerSlam 1992 he was then the British Commonwealth and European heavyweight boxing champion at the time Wait, Lennox Lewis? Lennox Lewis accompanied Davy Boy <laughs> Smith to the ring. <laughs> Holy shit! Wow, crazy! Oh, it's actually kind of—it's also kind of based. That's, that's that's real awesome. Oh. Shout out to you, Lennox Lewis. I hope you're having a good day, mate. I hope he's having a good day. Thank you. <laughs> so of course as everybody knows if you go back to watch the match it's a fantastic match with all of those factors regardless and a lot of people myself included could say stand here and say yeah that was probably Davy Boy Smith's best match and the finest one is in his entire career that's saying something yeah <laughs> although this reign for the IC title would not be a very long one as in the November Saturday night's main event he would eventually lose that title to Shawn Michaels 
Sean. Two weeks later, though, David Boy Smith was released by the WWF. Of course. Now, uh, there is a reason to this, and uh, Reardon went into this into great detail. According to Bret Hart's book, the reason for Smith's release is that Vince were caught on and was made aware that both he and the Ultimate Warrior were receiving illegal shipments of human growth hormone from a crooked pharmacist in England. And now, yeah, of course, I... during and this was caused during the steroid trial, he had to kind of cut his losses on, well, on, on, on people that were taking the steroids. <laughs> and both Smith and Warrior were hastily released from the company. Before we get to WCW, though, did you know that Davey Boy Smith made a couple of appearances in ECW? What? This was back when it was known as Eastern Championship Wrestling, may I add. Oh, boo. Boo. <laughs> I, wanted him, I wanted him to face Sandman. I wanted that. Man. Maybe, it's a good, maybe it's a good thing, though, because he did defeat Jimmy Snooker on both occasions. Ah, uh, you okay, know, you know swing, swing some roundabouts, alright? <laughs> this leads us uh, to, he... to WCW, his first turn in WCW in 1993. He debuted at Super Brawl 3 in 20, on the 21st of, of February, defeating Wild Bill Irwin, aka The Goon, in very quick fashion. <laughs> <laughs> but it was from this that he ended up having a jobber run. Well, when I say that, you know the dominating run where you just where you're on the sea show and defeat the jobber of the week. Basically, mm -hmm. that was what Davy Boy Smith was doing in WCW, having like squash matches on worldwide main event Saturday night. And eventually, though, it was from this that he ended up actually being able to head on over to All Japan Wrestling for the Champions Carnival Tournament. He didn't do very well. He only scored a total of six points, but he did defeat Danny Crawford, Doug Furness, and Johnny Ace. Oh, John Laurinaitis. Oh, dear. Mrs. Baba. Mrs. Baba. Why would you let me be beaten by Davy Boy? <laughs> but he did have, ended up having losses to Akira Tawe, Kenta Kabashi, Mitsuharu Masawa, uh, the Patriot, Del Wilkes, Stan Hansen. Dr. Death, Terry Gordy, and Toshiaki Kawada. Upon returning from the Champions Carnival, though, Smith formed an alliance with the top babyface of WCW, Sting. Sting. And this is where they would end up feuding with both Sid Vicious and Big Van Vader. Smith would receive a World Heavyweight Championship shot against then-champion Vader, winning the match via disqualification. But as we know, since titles don't change hands via disqualification, Vader retained the title. The feud would continue there on afterwards, culminating when he seemingly won the World Heavyweight Championship from Vader on a tour of England in October, though it was a dusty finish. For fuck's sake, this man can't catch a break. Oh, mate. Damn it. <laughs> Now, as we all know at this time, Davy Boy Smith was married to Diana Hart, who, of course, was one of the many, many siblings of the famous Hart family. 
Now, it was now I bring this up because David Boy Smith was reportedly involved in an altercation in England where a man at the bar was making hits towards his wife. And David Boy Smith Ooh. ended up <laughs> absolutely knocking the man out, which result which involved a legal issue soon after. Uh, how I'm sorry. How drunk do you have to be to hit on the hit on 90s era British bulldog's wife? I that know, is a right? level of that's the that is a level of drunk only found in England. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Uh, so he was really because of this he was released from his contract in December he would make his final pay-per-view appearance at the Battle Bowl on the 20th of November where he teamed with Cole aka Booker T Ooh. in the first round of the lethal lottery losing to Road Warrior Hawk and Rip Rogers ah so what would what would uh, David Boy Smith do during this time before getting back to the WWF for his uh, for his third run? He would actually return to England for a little bit. Mm. Uh, he would end up having a couple of matches in the then um, <clears throat> RWS, which was originally All Star Promotions, who would run World of Sport at this time. He would end up having a couple of matches against Ricky Knight, Drew McDonald. Uh, Johnny Angel, Dale Preston. There are there are there is someone who watches British wrestling at this time who knows exactly what I'm talking about. Ricky Knight obviously is the I believe is the uh, father of Soraya, if memory serves oh. me correct. Uh, oh, so yeah, make of that what you will. Uh, but it was 1994 that David Boy Smith would return to the WWF at SummerSlam, where he immediately became involved in a feud between Brett and his and Owen Hart. Yes, we get back to the, I kicked your leg out of your leg, Brett! <laughs> 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 so, David Boy Smith would team up with, uh, with Brett against Owen and Jim Neidhart in a series of tag team matches. Most notably, though, a, uh, a victory uh, on Monday Night Raw are in November. The same month, Smith would appear in a Survivor Series 10-man elimination match. His partners were then IC champion Razor Ramon, the 1-2-3 Kid, and the Head Shrinkers. They faced up against then-tag champions Shawn Michaels and Diesel, Owen Hart, Jeff Jarrett, and Jim Neidhart. Smith was eventually counted out in this one, in this one but did play a key part in this match and eventually would end up I believe their team ended up winning this match. He also became involved in the main event of this Survivor Series, which was Brett against Bob Backlund in the submission match for the WWF Championship. Interesting. He was then, because he, he was in the corner of Bret Hart at this time, but he got laid out by Owen. And as everybody knows, Bob Backlund put on the crossface chicken wing, which saw hit, which saw Owen. Sorry, I should say his his mum Helen Hart throw in the towel, and Bob Backlund became WWF champion in 1994. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this brings us to the Royal Rumble 1995. As everybody knows, David Boy Smith, Shawn Michaels, won the number one and number two entrance, but they both last and are the final two participants. It looks like David Boy Smith has actually won it as he tosses Shawn Michaels over the ropes. Bad choice of words there, Sam. 
He throws Shawn Michaels <laughs> over the top rope and celebrates on the second turnbuckle. But as we all know, Shawn Michaels, uh, uh, Shawn Michaels was skinning the cat and only one foot touched the floor. Shawn Michaels enters the ring, throws David Boy Smith over the rope, and Shawn Michaels ring wins the Royal Rumble. Of course, this is when uh, I think this is when David Boy Smith started becoming a meme because it was like, oh, I want my title shot. But it gets more and more into 1998. We'll get there soon enough. <laughs> yeah. So, after this, David Boy Smith began wrestling and teaming with Lex Luger, and they became known as the Allied Powers. Uh, hmm. Interesting. They really did not have much of anything happen. They had a match at WrestleMania 11, defeating the... Uh, the, the Nazi brothers, sorry, the Blue Brothers, I apologise. No, the Nazi brothers, I should say. No. <laughs> they, would, they would fail to win the tag championships at In Your House 2 from then champions Owen Hart and Yokozuna and eventually would just then feud with men on a mission. <laughs> and it pretty much didn't kind of, it kind of fizzled out because Lex Luger eventually just then went and left and went back to WCW and David Boy Smith ended up kind of teaming with then WWF champion Diesel to take on Men in a Mission. Smith would then, in that same match, attack Diesel and turn heel for the very first time in the WWF. He made his intentions known, and he was coming after the WWF toil. He would get that man, title oh, shot. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, just, I'm sorry. Just listening to all of this, I'm just like, man, the new generation era was a mess. It really fucking was. <laughs> oh, my God. You try watching it, dude. It's bad. It's bad. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. We watched the first in your house, Red, and you know how bad it gets. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off mid-flow, but I'm just listening to all of this and like, what is going on out here? <laughs> so, God. he got a WWF Championship shot at In Your House 4, winning by disqualification after Bret Hart interfered. Um, after that, Smith would participate in the Survivor Series wildcard eight-man elimination match, teaming with Michael, Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, and Psycho Sid, facing off against Razor Ramon, Dean Douglas, Owen Hart, and Yokozuna, which David Boy Smith's team won. At In Your House 5, Smith was granted a title shot against new champion Bret Hart, but was unsuccessful in winning. Now, a notable incident from this match, funnily enough, just as an aside, was that Bret Hart um, bled during the match, which, as everyone knows, was not of the time because uh, because they had outlawed bleeding. And, you know, if you were caught bleeding, you were fined or fired. But Bret, being Bret, was able to find a way to be able to say or make it look like he bled hard way, but actually was bleeding. <laughs> God... <laughs> Oh, bless you, Bret Hart, for being able to be a sneaky bastard in that sense. <laughs> that is great. Here comes the 1996 Royal Rumble. Now, the 96 Royal Rumble is very infamous for one specific reason. And it's Bret Hart cutting the weirdest promo I have ever fucking seen by someone. It was a pre it was a pre-event promo, pre-recorded, where Bret oh uh, sorry, where David Boy Smith is entering the arena. And he's and he's the crowd is there. He's got a suitcase. He's got his casual clothes on. 
He goes, who's going to win the Royal Who's going to win the Royal Rumble? Right, now I have an history with Royal Rumbles. And tonight, I'm going to be making history at this here Royal Rumble tonight because I'm bizarre. <laughs> Man, when the cocaine hits, it hits hard with David Boy <laughs> I feel like I've silenced Reardon. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just like, why did you choose that word? What, because I'm what bizarre? Possessed... <laughs> yeah, what possessed you of all the things to say is, I'm bizarre? <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't even know. He I was... don't even know. Now, I will say this, he was eliminated eventually by Shawn Michaels in that one as a sort of, uh, of ironic sort of <laughs> thing, wasn't it? <laughs> now, this starts um, a feud in 96 where Shawn Michaels then WWF champion, was put into a feud with Davey Boy Smith fighting over that championship. The feud started was based on Diana Hart supposedly being hit on by Shawn Michaels, which angered Davey Boy Smith and made him determined to take that title from Shawn Michaels. They were main event in your house eight, Beware of Dog, where the match ended in a draw, leading to a rematch at the King of the Ring, where Davey Boy Smith was unsuccessful winning the title. Afterwards, though, David Boy Smith would form a tag team with Owen Hart. Soon, the two would win the WWF champion tag championships from the Smoking Guns. They would end up facing off against the Legion of Doom, Vader and Mankind, the Can-Am connection of Doug Furness and Phil LaFon, and eventually losing those titles, believed to the Legion of Doom. 1997, the WWF would create a brand new championship, the European Championship. Now, I've gone into great detail. We have gone into great detail about the European Championship. We did a whole episode back in the day on the European Championship. So I'm not going to go that into too did. much detail. But as we know, the Championship ended up culminating in a tournament in uh, during a house show loop in Germany where David Boy Smith and Owen Hart faced off. And, Owen, and uh, David Boy Smith would win, becoming the very first and inaugural European Champion. In 1997, we get to the Hart Foundation. He would join forces with Bret Hart, Jim Neidhart, Owen Hart, and Brian Pillman to form a new Hart Foundation, who would basically kind of be the antithesis to D-Generation X in 97. Loved and revered in the UK and Canada, hated everywhere else. <laughs> Which is which is nuts to think about. Now, believe it or not, do you remember this time I talked to you, Reardon? I think it was we're talking about. We might have talked about this event. It was the one night only pay per view in Manchester, England. Smith was booked in the main event to defend his European Championship against Shawn Michaels. He was supposed yeah. to win the match. However, Shawn Michaels got into Vince McMahon's ear and convinced him to take the title from Davy Boy Smith. Now, may I just add, Davy Boy Smith was dedicating this to his sister, who was battling cancer at the time. It... And Shawn Michaels went over. God, like, I think I've heard that it was Shawn Michaels, like, didn't want to drop the title. He wanted to win, so he got it because he was Shawn Michaels at the time. Man, 90s, 80s eras, Shawn Michaels was a piece of shit. I know he admits it. Yeah. He like he actively admits it, but when you actually see it, it's like, 
Yeah, man. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> this leads us then to the Montreal Screwjob. 9th of November 97, Survivor Series. After being part of a then match of Team Canada versus Team USA, which they successfully won, the Montreal Screwjob happens in the main event. As we all know, Brett, uh, Shawn Michaels gets Bret Hart and a sharpshooter. Vince calls for the bell. Bret doesn't tap out because Bret... Uh, and chaos ensues. Uh, Bret, because Bret, of course, was leaving for WCW pretty much the day... Well, a month after um, his contract was renew uh, wasn't renewed. Uh, la da We all know the story at this point. Uh, but uh, what we do know, of course, is that the entire Hart Foundation came out to calm Brett the hell down, which, of course, you know, in any certain regard, when Brett was absolutely fuming, you kind of have to do. Uh, was unsuccessful, though, because as we all know, Brett Hart absolutely punched the living daylights out of Vince McMahon backstage. <laughs> yep. This is bullshit. Um, believe it or not, though, uh, David Boy Smith, Jim Neidhart, both paid money kind of to be able to leave the WWF for WCW around the same time as Bret Hart left as well. They had to oh. pay to leave the company. Um, all of them wanted to leave, Owen included, but as we all know, Owen was kind of kind of was blocked in doing that and was kind of forced to stay in the company. Very unfortunate. So, yeah. this this brings his return to WCW in 1997. Guess who David Boy Smith began a feud with? His very first feud. Oh god, I don't even know. <laughs> you're going to you're going to love this because it's so stupid. Uh, who you got? Never mind that shit. Here comes Mongo. Oh, yes, oh, okay. Yes, Steve McMichael was his very first feud. <laughs> and you know We're what cooking. started this feud? It was Mongo complaining that all of these wrestlers coming in that were from up north. <laughs> That's Canada. the reason why. Uh, I really can't tell you much about what happened with David Boy Smith's career. Um, only up that it was kind of marred with a lot of lot of injury. Um, he challenged for the tag championships with Jim Neidhart. He would suffer a knee injury that sidelined him for a month. Uh, and in September of 1998 at Fallbrawl, he would suffer his most serious injury and one that had an absolute domino effect on not only his career, uh, but his life. Uh, with Neidhart, they ended up having a tag team match against Disco Inferno and Alex Wright. Now, if you know anything about Football 98, this was where uh, the war uh, the Ultimate Warrior was part of the War Games match. And they had a fake warrior uh, magically appear in the ring and uh, the real warrior come out soon after. The way they did the trick was they actually had a trap door in one of the two rings. So that the fake warrior was able to just pop out, no prop, no like no questions asked, as quickly as you like. The problem is that none of the bookers had told the wrestlers that there was a trap door in one of those rings. And during the match, Ooh. while taking bumps, Davy Boy Smith landed twice 
awkwardly on his lower back on that trap door. Twice. The result of this was a spinal infection that damn near paralyzed British Bulldog and it hospitalized him for over six months. You know what the worst part is, though? WCW fired him because he terminated his contract due to his inability to perform. Oh, that's fucked. Oh, wrestling. Yeah. Man, that is fucked. Ah, God's sake. <laughs> so we get to 1999, and Smith ends up returning to the WWF. Keeping in with the with the company's new vibe and direction with the Attitude Era, David Boy Smith adopted a brand new kind of gimmick and persona, wearing jeans, rolled up socks, and black boots, um, with a much more kind of like punkish, British punkish attitude. Now everybody knows, right? Like, I'm just going to go over this. There's only really one thing that is very famous for uh, for British Bulldog's time in this one, and it's just complaining that he wants a WWF title. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I want my title shot. Where's my title shot? Give me my title shot. <laughs> <laughs> but because of this, he was thrusted into the main event scene with guys like The Rock and Triple H and Steve Austin at this time. So, I guess it worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, the biggest part of this, though, that he began feuding with The Rock, and his biggest one, and his biggest contribution at this time was headlining Unforgiven as part of a six-man WWF Championship match that was eventually won by Triple H. Eventually, of course. in late 1999, he would defeat D'Lo Brown for his second European Championship, eventually losing it to Val Venus in a triple threat match at Armageddon. Val Venus, of all people, okay. He would unsuccessfully uh, be a part of the 2000 Royal Rumble, eventually being eliminated. I think he came in at number 15, I want to say. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Eventually, though, he would defeat Crash Holly for the Hardcore Championship. And it would be kind of flip-flopped between them because this was the, the era of the 24-7 rule of the Hardcore Championship. Meaning, you, you, you put that title on the line anytime, anywhere, any place. <laughs> but it did give us a lot of great segments, if memory serves me correct. The great segment in WrestleMania 2000, where everyone and their mums was W uh, was Hardcore Championship. Do you remember the? I think there was the one where Crash Holly was in a kid. Like I think it was like a Chuck E. Cheese establishment, and they ended up having a wrestling match in the ball pit. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> And Smith's last televised match on the WWF was on a Sunday night heat taping, where he burst into Eddie Guerrero and China's locker room, accusing Eddie, who was then European champion at the time, of not treating the belt with the respect it deserved. It led to a championship match that night on heat, where both men were disqualified. After that, it was announced that Smith had left again in the, uh, on the 15th of May 2000, with Davy Boy Smith taking a hiatus from professional wrestling he was mm -hmm. really intent on in resuming his career coming out of semi-retirement teaming and training with uh, uh training with his then son harry smith but unfortunately in the 18th of may 2002 
in Manitoba, Canada, I believe. He ended up passing away. Uh, the cause of death, unfortunately, was due to a heart attack. Um, he was gearing up for a return, believe it or not, to the WWE at this time as well. Which just um, fucking sucks. Unfortunately. Uh, he was also, at this time, he, he got clean as well and actually ended up he, he went to rehab to treat his uh, addiction to opiate painkillers caused by the back injury that he suffered at, at full brawl um yeah. and it is just it's just a bloody shame man um again i a quick it, it's it's not a nice one to end on but um man for me i felt like Davey Boy Smith could have definitely have been in the upper mid card and definitely would have. I don't think, especially at the time in the early 90s, could definitely have been. It wouldn't have been weird to have seen him as WWF champion because I think he definitely had all of the facets. I think the only thing I feel like Davey Boy Smith never really had was a good promo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I feel like knowing his history. His time to be WWF champion was unfortunately in the new generation era. Yeah. And they just never and they never pulled the trigger because you had Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart really at that time. Well, Diesel as well, believe it or not. Yeah, why did he oh man, you know, of all the people that like he could have replaced in that spot, it was a hundred percent diesel. Like <laughs> all, all all like all respect to Kevin Nash, but come on. Come on. It's 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 a real heartbreaker. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his 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 influence does live on through his son, Harry Smith, aka Davy Boy Smith Jr., the British Bulldog. Um who's keeping I who who's keeping his uh, his legacy alive by uh being a, a catch wrestler. He's definitely taken his uh his love of catch wrestling and shoot wrestling because uh because David Bo- David Boy Smith Jr. is always in blood sport. <laughs> nice. You know what? You know what? That feels right. <laughs> it really mm-hmm. does. It really does. So there, that is the life and career of Davy Boy Smith. Anything kind of any closing notes or uh feelings, fellas? Just one of re- just what an extremely bittersweet career. Mm. What a because like we he like he didn't get to do as much as he, he should have been done. That horrific injury, thanks to thanks to a botch in WCW, is not the way you want it to go down. But on the other hand, being the British Bulldog, his legacy is definitely assured. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You can't you can't say that he's like an also ran or anything. He he has his nods, and I think. To put it on a positive way, I think that's the thing to really think on. He deserves his Hall of Fame spot. That's what I'll say. Yeah, he absolutely mm-hmm. does. He, he absolutely does. does. Oh, anything, Melee? Any closing thoughts, feelings? I, I, you know, not to go on like the, the negative route, but it's just in a way tragic about like with all these wrestlers like who unfortunately pass away. Usually, it's when they're trying to recover or when they're on their path to being clean. Yeah, and that's yeah. unfortunately that's when uh, it, it it takes them. It really does, and it it, it it's so true because it just it like you see it 
yeah, especially in that time. I, I'm especially in that little like early two thousands, mid tens. So many wrestlers that are trying to get on the straight and narrow, and it just, and it's just like life doesn't, life doesn't want that. It just, it just takes it from them. It fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really freaking sucks. Uh, well, to see to see a very good a very good case study on that, go watch the wrestler by Darren Aronofsky in two thousand eight. No, oh god, don't make me watch the wrestler again. I don't want to cry. God fucking damn it. Anyway, <laughs> that is gonna wrap up this episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. On the next episode, hopefully. I'm hoping to get make sure that everything's there and ready to go. I think we have everything ready. We are going to be joined by uh, co-founder of Big Egg, Coletta Rand, as we do a retrospective on Toru Yano. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Buy my DVD? <laughs> oh, this is going to be a, a day, isn't New it? Japan's, <laughs> New Japan's... Longest enduring comedy character, but also incredibly based shooter. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting one to talk about the enduring legacy of this man's career in New Japan. But that is all coming up on the next episode. Until then, I have been Sam. This has been Ridden and Melee Hellbot, and you've been listening to the Sweet Chinwag podcast. We'll see you as always on the next one. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Talk show.